Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Did you know that I'm back doing another live show? Yes, I know. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's called The Stalker. And I share investigations where I learned probably a little too much about that murky world. The show is on Saturday, the 25th of February at the State Library of Victoria. Tickets are through Eventbrite. Hello, and I trust 2023 will be a good year for us all. In my 27 years as a Victorian policewoman, I investigated everything from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. Policing taught me a lot about human nature, which I explore in my podcasts with a variety of fascinating guests discussing the human side and impact of crime, not only on their lives, but mine as well. My podcasts are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. If you find yourself affected by my subject matter, please contact Lifeline or any other support, service or person that you feel comfortable with. Thank you. What he's trying to do, he's trying to kill me and if that's a consequence, that's what has to happen as part of the job. If I thought if I shot him, he would have lost control of the car and would have killed someone innocent. So I made that decision and I took that risk. Jeff Garland is a retired senior sergeant from the New South Wales Police Force, having served nearly 16 years before being medically discharged with post-traumatic stress, PTS, in 2011. Gee, that must be a surprise to so many of you. Fancy a police person with PTS, I hear you say. I notice Jeff calls it PTS and not PTSD or PTSI, but I'm going to dig down into that later on and find out why. But like so many of us, Jeff knew that something wasn't quite right with what was keeping him awake at night and the constant sadness that he was feeling, but he just couldn't quite understand what was happening. And of course, he wouldn't dream of talking with somebody about it. But I suppose in another way, how can you talk to somebody about something that you don't understand yourself? Jeff's deteriorating mental health came to a head one day when he was nearly killed trying to stop an offender driving a stolen utility. His actions on that day I could only describe as heroic. But police do these type of acts on a daily basis, never thinking of the consequences. It's just what we do to try and keep the community safe. Jeff finally realised that he was in trouble and sought professional help. And I know this will encourage many But because Jeff reached out for that help, he is now, in his words, 
fully recovered from post-traumatic stress and his loving life. Jeff now has a law degree. He's passionate about helping people start those awkward conversations that he had so much difficulty with himself in those troubling years. He's a published author and now a trauma recovery expert, master NLP coach, don't worry, we'll go into it later, uh, timeline therapist and hypnotherapist specialising in emergency services in the military. He certainly hasn't been sitting around feeling sorry for himself. Uh, his book is called Split Second because that's all it takes to become a hero or mauled by the press and public for making the wrong decision or no decision at all sometimes. A police person can make hundreds of split-second decisions in a shift, if not more, and one of those decisions nearly cost Jeff his life. I've got to say right here and now that our friends in Queensland know only too well about those split-second decisions. It's been a really sad week for us this week in Australia. Uh, we're all hurting for the members in Queensland, their families and their colleagues, but in fact, police everywhere. It could have happened to any of us, couldn't it, Jeff? So thank you and um, welcome to NFI. Thank you, Narelle. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, include me in this interview. I love the fact I can share my experiences to help other people. And in terms of you know, what happened in Queensland, very, very sad occasion. Uh, it's an unfortunate reality that we should not have to face as, as police officers. Um, that, mm. that could be a consequence of our actions. We're out there doing our best to serve the community and keep everyone safe. And sometimes people take it to the extreme and they, they take our lives and every day we risk our lives being taken. And it doesn't matter whether you're a serving officer or retired or just a member of the community to hear such tragedy to occur, uh, just especially to such young police uh, who are just simply mm. falling up on a, on, a, on a job and doing what they're paid to do to, to try and keep people safe. It's just an absolute awful thing that happened in my heart and feelings go out to everyone involved, the officers' families, those officers involved, every police officer serving or retired and any, anyone else in the community that's affected by that horrible tragedy. So unfortunately, it's happened and my thoughts and prayers go out to them all. Yes, and I concur, Jeff. It's uh, it's awful, and and I don't know about you, but I've been out of policing now since twenty fourteen. Well, really, twenty twelve, and even after Queensland, I still uh, reach out to my friends who are in the job. I still reach out to uh, former colleagues, and uh, we all check on each other. It's it's just something that touches uh, everyone's hearts, but particularly um, those of us who, um, it, as I said before, it could happen to, could have happened to any of us because I don't know a police person that's never been to a domestic situation or just a knock on the door to make sure, you know, as we call it, a welfare check. It, it just, uh, it happens every day. It is. Uh, like one, one yeah. of the things I like most about being in the police was as part of a policing family. So we're always going to be part of that blue family, whether you're serving or not. And yeah, we definitely all in our careers go through incidents and jobs that you know, could turn out to be life-threatening. I know I was involved in oh, probably around 15 or 20 life-threatening incidents in my career. And, but sometimes mm -hmm. it can be the, the mundane jobs, the jobs you go to all the time where there's no actual potential threat or you believe there's no perceived threat at all when they, that's mm -hmm. the ones that could turn most dangerous. So um, we, we do the best that we can with the information we have and the um, equipment and skills that we have but sometimes we get people like this who these 
no poor brave officers were confronted with and who had no no chance and no choice and um, mm. that was a consequence. Yes, I, I was going to ask you if there that you know we we are exposed to so many different and unusual situations. Uh, some are you know terribly sad like Queensland. Some are uplifting. Some are just unbelievable. And I was going to ask you about some of your uh, lighter moments that you could share with us, but I, I just don't know if that's the right thing to be talking about today. I just feel I, I might move on. Uh, I'm sure that, and maybe as the interview goes on, we might uh, talk about it, but I just don't feel I can go there after what we've been speaking about. So I might just uh, start within your 16 years, uh, you rose to the rank of senior sergeant and you obviously attended and had to deal with a lot of different situations. What would be your most, uh, the proudest moment you've had in your policing career? Uh, the fact that I lasted 16 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I know what you're saying in terms of having to focus on the positive stuff in the career with what's going on. And, I mean, all jobs has its ups and downs and stuff. And it's great to be respectful in terms of that. But I know there's a lot of people out there struggling with post-traumatic stress and with what's going on. But it's important to look back on those positive times in your career, even though we're not going to talk about them. It's po- it's essential that you focus on the good stuff that happened in your career um, rather than just focus yes. on, on the negative stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's part of a policing family, lots of um, positives and, and negatives as well, but especially in times when things are, aren't going so well or you're struggling, it's good, it's good to look back on, on the on the positive things, the time you used to laugh with your comrades and colleagues and stuff and all the jobs you attended and the differences that you make. But yeah, certainly with what's going on now, uh, it's a time to be respectful in terms of how everyone's feeling and um, and to you know, respect the, the sacrifice that has been made. You know, it's, I mean, it's so sad on so many levels, but I'm just thinking then with you talking, there are so many fantastic, uh, funny, as I said, unbelievable moments. And I think it's really sad that the, the particularly the couple of members that have passed away up in Queensland, they won't experience the breadth and the depth of that beautiful, uh, strong camaraderie between police, you know, between our blue brothers and sisters, they'll never experience that. I mean, they've experienced a little bit of it, but certainly, as you say, in your 16 years, in my 27, there are just so many funny, really uplifting moments. And uh, it's a a shame that those two members won't experience, you know, some of the highs that we have, you know. It is, but and it's a shame. Like police, uh, like out of all the emergency services, they're the ones who criticise and judge the most, and you know they're the ones that get in the most trouble. But it's unfortunate that it takes something like this for the community to actually support the police and show how much that they appreciate what they do. It takes a loss like this, a tragedy like this, for the community to actually rally behind the police. When this is the same thing that we do every single day, all around the country, all around the world. This is what we do. This is what we've committed ourselves to do it's our purpose it's we want to make a difference and we're usually the ones who get in trouble and criticize and stuff like that um and it's a shame that it takes something like this for you know the police to get the um acknowledgement that they deserve and it had been overwhelming support for the the officers that were killed and involved in that situation um is just testament to like how important policing is and the strength of the of the policing family to um although they're not here to enjoy those good experiences, the overwhelm of emotion and support that's come as a result of what's happened to them is just 
significant in terms of um, the sacrifice that they made and the, the, the strength of the um, the blue community. Mm. And so, when you heard about Queensland, I'm sure you felt the same as I did. But my heart just goes. It's just. It's like a a bit of a stab in the heart. It it's just. Oh, it's just so sad. We could talk about it forever. It's um, yeah. But anyway, we um, we're thinking of anybody up in Queensland. We're thinking of you all. Um, so, Jeff. You got to senior sergeant in policing. Uh, where did you do how many, in 16 years? Where was the best place you worked? What did you enjoy the most? Um, well, I did several roles in the police. Like I joined in 96. My first station was Gosford on the New South Wales Central Coast. Um, after leaving the, the College of Knowledge, uh, where we all taught the warm and fuzzy <laughs> rhetoric that we got told to keep us on the street. And I think my third, one of yeah. my first arrests, I got... Um, confronted by a naked felon who spat blood on me and tried to throw punches at me and stuff. And that quickly you know, made me realise that you know, what you learned at the academy wasn't <laughs> going to completely prepare you for what you see on the streets because it's just completely different. So a lot of experiences there. My first book was shoot, um, chasing escapee, who escaped from custody up here and chased him over back fences and through a swimming pool and end up arrest, um, arrest, arresting him when he's hanging on one side of the um, fence and I've got his jacket. I'm, I'm hanging on a trampoline, just hanging over the fence, hanging onto him. And he tried to get out of his jacket, and I threw myself over the fence and said, "No, you have the right to remain wet," using my sense of humour and stuff. And then a big Doberman <laughs> come up to the fence and all that sort of stuff, and had a had a car pursuit where um, the bloke was armed, and as he was um, as he was trying, he ran police car and uh, over at West Gosford, and as he. Um, was trying was trying to arrest him. He was reaching for the shotgun under the under the seat to shoot me. And that was like within the first few months of my career. So I certainly changed a lot of things. Um, then I put my hand up to go to Redfern um, when it was Redfern when things were really serious and violent. Um, it's something that I wanted to do to be part of. Um, although that was the place in which most of my traumas were um, occasioned. It's a place that I really enjoyed working at because I got involved in a lot of things. I really tested myself and. Ultimately, it ended my, um, that part of my career on the back of the Ute um, back in 2001. Great idea at the time. Um, and then <laughs> took some time off, put my hand up, went and got help. Like, with, like, even with the incident with the Ute, like, I knew I wasn't coping beforehand. I just didn't realise why. I just thought I was weak and in the wrong job So, um, mm. if, um, because of the lack of education and awareness. But I put my hand up. I did the unpolice-like thing, an unbloke-like thing, went and got help. As a result, I able to process my events. Um, returned to work for 10 years. Uh, then I was, went, went to prosecuting for a while. Um, I prosecuted uh, all around the state at 30 different courts. Then went back to general duties here on uh, the Central Coast again at Tugwalax. Um, my first shift here was the that big storm weekend in July 2009, I think it was, um, mm. 2007, um, when the Pasha Balka crashed. Uh, decided to park itself at, at Nobby's Beach where there's massive storms and things like that. So that was my reinitiation back into... Um, life in uniform back on the Central Coast. So I got involved in a lot of things here. There's that incident, lots of other incidents. I wrestled with a, um, an offender who was trying to uh, suicide on a lookout here on the Central Coast. He, he tried to throw himself and me off the cliff a few times. I um, went to save someone who I just thought was a drink driver who decided to jump in the entrance channel. Um, so I thought he was just trying to you know, avoid arrest because he was drunk and um, he, was, he was drowning. So I risked my life to go do that and grabbed him and he 
called me underwater, tried to drown me. Uh, I found out that he was in a stolen car, that he was a high-risk offender, and uh, he wasn't such a nice bloke after all. But So lots of different things. And then I got promoted to um, senior sergeant down as one of the bosses at the Dang Centre in, in, the, in the court in Sydney. Um, so I was there for a while, injured my back, and then that just led to the end of my career back in 2011. Uh, as a result, um, lost my identity, became suicidal, um, didn't know who I was, and it was a, a night one night where I almost uh, was going to follow through with it. I'm glad I didn't, but then I just used the resources that I had before, the skills I had before, and I've been able to process all my events from the past so that um, they don't affect me. I can visit my locations. I can talk about my events in detail without being affected, and, of course, now I run my business um, helping people, um, especially those who are struggling because of their service, because of my lived experience, what I went through. I didn't want anyone else to be affected by it. So that's my passion. That's my purpose. Yeah, and and we will certainly go into that, Jeff, because how you've been able to cope with all these traumatic situations is pretty incredible. Um, But can I just go back? Um, You said to me, or I read somewhere, that you recall when you were first diagnosed with PTS, uh, which was at Redfern, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's after I jumped yeah. in the um, betray the union. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute because that story is just unbelievable. But you had no idea what it was, did you? Only that there was something consuming you. So when did you first notice that something wasn't quite right and what was it that was consuming you? It was probably, I'd been at Redfern for three or four years and I was just getting involved in a lot of incidents at work, um, wrestling with armed offenders, those with knives and guns working in the block when it was the block, lots of, was involved in a few riots, had people um, you know, try and take my life as a rest, involved in the rest of the black market murders where seconds after they just murdered some other opposing members of the OMCG, they come out running with the guns, you have a car pursuit, foot pursuit, that sort of stuff. So lots of things I was taking on board, but I didn't realise the effect it was having on me. But then um, I'd get involved in a serious incident, but then I'd take more risk because there was no debriefing, there was no support. It was just like, get over it, get on with it, that sort of thing. So I was just getting involved in more and more things. And there was um, I got involved in about six serious incidents in a very, very short period of time just before I jumped in the ute. So I just, yeah. I just could feel I wasn't coping like I was getting very emotional. I was withdrawing. I was... Um, getting anger, angry and stuff like that. And I just knew I wasn't the same sort of person. So I just thought that that was part of the job. And, of course, as part of the culture, you drink alcohol in order to cope and process uh, what yep. you're going through. Yep. So that's what I did. Yep. Um, and then I jumped in the tray of the ute that day and that was no, – I thought was going to be my last or my last day alive. I thought definitely thought I was going to die, but it was definitely my last day at Redfern. Uh, yes, and look – I think, uh, can you tell us about that? Because I've only heard it briefly with what you told me, but it's pretty incredible what you did. Can you tell us about it? As I said before, it was a good idea at the time. Like, I mean, I had a feeling that day on the way to work, it wasn't going to be a good day. I should have listened. Um, or got, to, got to work, um, actually got in trouble from an inspector for something I didn't do, and then that just got put me on the wrong foot. And then we started patrolling around um, the block area. I saw that you, like you always do, there's always cars down there that you know don't belong there. Did, I did a, um, a transport on, on the car, come up stolen. I could have simply just gone and got it recovered, but you know, I was in the mood to, to, to chase someone and get an arrest because you, know, you just take the car off them. It's not, not, not preventing anything. So, And then we just drove around the block and then he started driving towards us and then um, my new probationary constable, one of his first shifts in the cops, was working with me that day. Yeah. Um, 
I just told him to block the car in. We blocked it in. I got out the passenger side thinking that's going to be an easy rest. I was in full uniform. I said, mate, just stay there. You're under rest. Next. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Second, um... There's like a blackout sort of thing. I'm in the tray of the ute as it rumbles down the road. Um, lucky I have my portable radio. Um, offside, I was just standing back in a police car like, hey, what do I do? And it just started from then. He started driving around. That was like 8.30 on a Monday morning. Um, peak hour traffic, people on the way to work. Like Redfern's just outside of the city for those that don't know. It's like one street away from Central Train Station and stuff. So it's very, very close. Um, he just mm-hmm. drive, started driving um, around. Uh, the streets heading in towards the city, um, swerving over the road, ramming parked cars. Uh, I was in complete fear for my life. I called urgent on the radio. The operator actually thought I was in pursuit of the car, but then I told him I was in the tray <laughs> of the ute. Sorry, that's not even funny. It, it, we're, 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 looking back, I can I, I can laugh at it now. So, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yes, it's like I'm not pursuing the radio. I'm actually in the tray at the back sort of thing, and that's when the, the penny yeah, kind of dropped yeah. and everyone went, okay, yeah. here we go. So, And, like, I was in fear for my life, so I – pulled my gun out and looking at, he was looking at me trying to throw me out and doing everything he could, he could to do it, running red lights, ramming parked cars, swerving all over the road, oh, breaking heavily. Goodness. I was lucky that I there was a short piece of rope. Um, so it was a Toyota Land Cruiser Ute for those who know the cars. Um, there was a big tray, only two people could sit. There was a the driver and the passenger in the car. And luckily just behind the window there was a, a length of rope and I wrapped that around my hand and there was a, two, two, a toolbox on each side of the tray. So I'm hanging on to the... Um, rope in one hand um, and my radio calling, like, trying to call locations and had my gun out, hoping he would stop. That just seemed to make him more intent to get away and heads in towards Ultimo and uh, there's uh, people everywhere and we're going up over this um, 
um, oh. pedestrian crossing, and for, for some reason the, the, it just parted. Like I thought, no, he's going to run somebody over. And I was going to—I thought at that stage I was going to shoot him because if I didn't stop him, then he could kill someone innocent. But then at the same time, I thought that if I shoot him and it injures him, at least what he's trying to do, he's trying to kill me, and if that's a consequence, that's what has to happen as part of the job. But if I shot, if I thought if I shot him, he would have lost control of the car and would have killed someone innocent. So I made that decision and I took that risk. So. Um, there's actually CCTV footage of this, um, which um, made it easier for me to deal with. Um, but then he yeah, went around blind corners and stuff into had um, called for assistance. So police on the footage, you can see a police truck coming towards me, and then it just just disappears behind us as it goes past. And it's like, yes, it's going to be over. No, it's not. So, um, <laughs> and then we headed in toward the city. He nearly hits cars and he runs people over. Gets airborne into the park um, opposite Central Train Station. Being on grass, a car starts spinning around in circles. Um, I then said, "That's I've got to do it. So I end up smashing um, my hand and gun through the window. The passenger takes off and then the driver jumps out. I start chasing him and then he jumps the fence and I couldn't because I was exhausted. I was tired. I was injured. Um, and then he ran away into the main street um, and um, unbeknownst to him, he, he ran into a police and into a building full of police on a training day. So he didn't get too far. Um so he got arrested, which was great. And then I just sat there and, like, I was bleeding. Uh, I had members of the public come up to me and just actually look after me and give me water, tend to my injuries and stuff like that. And that was that was the day I just wanted to walk away. I didn't want to, didn't want to be a policeman anymore. And there was times in the pursuit that – in the incident that I was actually looking at the road. It was Everything was slow motion. My daughter, at that stage, she was, what, um, two months old. Um, and I thought, if he just pulls over now, I'm just going to get out and walk away. I don't want – I don't care if he gets away. I don't care who he is. Um but that didn't happen. So, um, yes, I ended up going off work. I was in hospital for a little while. I asked the inspector to give my, my then wife a call to let her know. He said he would. Um, but then um, I get a message. She actually rang my phone, um, which I dropped in the tray at the ute, and she, just to tell me that her daughter was laughing at Elmo or something, and that's when the detective said, look, you haven't heard, Jeff's in hospital. So she come down, got me from hospital, um, got down to – I got taken back to the police station in the back of a – a wagon that had all this equipment in it, so I didn't even get a seat to sit down on. So I was just been through this incident where I almost died and got conveyed back to the police station in the back of a, uh, a, a an appointment sort of right van. Um, we had to stand up and hold on. Had in, had bleeding injuries and in my ribs and hands and stuff, and I was a mental oh, mess. Seriously. And then I yeah. got back to the um back to the police station, and the, my wife was there at the time, and she said to me, "My my debrief was when you're finished with him, send him to me and give me a go." That was it. So I grabbed my stuff, walked out, never to return. Gee, I wonder <laughs> why. You know, there, there are so many questions in that scenario, yep. but a couple I want to go back to. Hmm? You said that uh, you blacked out at some point and you were in the back of the ute. Does that mean that uh, because the only reason I'm asking that is um, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, or PTSI, uh, or PTS, <laughs> we'll cover that in a minute. Yeah. But uh, when I was diagnosed, I had an incident where I blacked out as well, but it was for about 20 minutes and it was uh, called, referred to as an amnesia event. Do you believe that that was some sort of amnesia event from stress or uh, why did you black out? Do you have any idea? I don't know. In terms of when I black out, it's not like I was passed out on the ground. It's just the fact that there's a gap in terms of me staying next to his window saying, don't move, you're under arrest, to me being oh, yeah, in right actual on. back of the ute. 
being driven away. So how I got my <laughs> my frame um, into the back of that ute, I still don't yeah, recall. Yeah, with you. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. 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 I, just can't, I can't explain it, but that's just, yeah, the next thing I know okay. was in the back of the ute, <laughs> dropping away, going, okay. Right. Yeah, this is real. I, I suppose I suppose there's always going to be gaps, isn't there? With any uh, traumatic incident, you're never going to remember it uh, second by second. But mm. another thing that really, I'm, I'm just shaking my head here. I shake my head a lot when I speak to police. There are just so many things that happen to us where there is no. Uh, just the care and support, like there is none. Like the mm. fact that you have just been uh, released from hospital, you're not put in the back of a nice car and somebody's looking after you. It's hop in the back here, mate, just hang on. It, it, like just I don't understand how how anybody could do that. And then you get back to the police station, like nobody said, do you want to go home, have a cup of tea with your wife, come back tomorrow morning? Uh, there's just no care. Like, Oh, I just yeah. and, and I'm mate, speechless, Jeff. I and know, that's unusual for me. And I was like twenty. It's still like um, over 20, 20 years ago, but I'm sure that there's some form of improvement. But that's just how, well, especially in a place like Redfern and things like that. Like, not supposed to show that you're not coping, that you that what you're going through, you're being affected by what you've been involved in. But yeah, it certainly didn't make me want to go back. And I left Redfern, and I didn't hear from anyone at work either, except when I had a brief at Steam. They wanted to know when I was going to finish that, and it's just. Um, it's just it's part of the process, especially back back in those days, and the, and certainly doesn't encourage you to actually reach out and get help if you get that type of support. But you know, no matter what you're going through, if you're affected by it, you, it's, you have to do what's best for you, and that's what I did. I ultimately went, look, I don't care what anyone else thinks. I need to take mm-hmm. care of me, for me and my family, mm-hmm. so I can actually get through this and then decide what I'm going to do after that. So a lot of people don't want to go off because of the um, the stigma around it, but you've got to do what you've got to do. You've got to put yourself first above your career and everything mm-hmm. else. And and looking back, when you say you never set foot in Redfern again, so can you tell us about those following days and weeks? Like you just said, then, uh, which is well, it's not surprising; it should be, but that you didn't have any. Uh, I don't know. Somebody ring you from the station? How are you going, mate? Do that was a great job, or did you have anything like that? I had like obviously had some friends and stuff like that, but um, nothing in terms of management and things like that. It's all in terms of um, having statements done and things things like that. My uniform was there, and um, there was there's no no form of real support in terms of making sure I'm okay and everything else. And um, it, for me, it was like absolutely devastating. Like um, I'd just been through such a traumatic deal, and um, I had to admit I wasn't coping. So I definitely turned to alcohol a lot, shut myself down. Um, and mm. didn't really want to do it any like a lot of a lot of flashbacks and stuff like that and trying to talk of you know why did that happen why did I do that how could the outcome I should have done this differently and all that sort of stuff like it's like not like I mean in, in Queensland there might be a lot of issues now in terms of like the survivor guilt and what they could have done differently but for me it's like you know, I was involved in this like obviously I survived I'm very lucky to have um, it's about assessing and reassessing and, and trying to work out how it all happened and um, and then just just basically shutting down. For me, it wasn't – the thought of me going back to work, I couldn't even identify myself as a policeman. I just didn't care. I just – I knew that I wasn't coping. I just want to spend time with my family. Mm. Yeah, it sounds to me like it was the uh, straw that uh, broke the camel's back. Had many straws in my career. 
Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that. <laughs> and so you said that you came back. What surprised me was after all that and all those incidents, obviously they're building up and that one was just the last straw of all the straws, <laughs> uh, but you then came back. Uh, like did you have any treatment or did you just, like, how did you come back from that? Well, I, I did, I put, I put my hand up. I admitted I wasn't coping. Um, I had no idea what, I hadn't been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress at that stage. I had no idea what it was. I just thought uh, just been affected by that job and didn't understand the connection between the other jobs, how it was building up and compounding and to that to that actual point. Um, so I went and saw my GP, got referred to a psychologist who then referred me to a psychiatrist, did a lot of talk therapy, exposure therapy, and um, it was a process of unpacking all those things, which took a period of time, um, end up, I mean, I've been asking for the, because um, because there was CCTV footage of the incident, um, that I was after that because I wanted to have a look at it to, in order to help me to process what I've been involved in. Mm. And they, they wouldn't mm. release it to me for, for six months and um, eventually it was. And as soon as I, I watched the video, like for so long, I, the flashbacks and nightmares was for me was uh, I was trapped in the trail of the year. That was my perspective about what happened. But as soon as I got the CCTV footage, I was no longer trapped. I was actually an outsider looking in at this officer in the back of the ute going through this ordeal. And it totally disconnected the association and the emotions in terms of what I've been going through. Mm. And it, was, it completely changed your your outlook? Perspective. Yeah, it, it interrupted my patterns of thought. So, so I was no longer trapped because when we go, th- when we experience the trauma, the mind takes in everything that's happening. So when we get the flashbacks, we react as if we're going through it. So for me, for, for such for six months, I was trapped in that you going through everything around the corners and the, the, the gun and everything else, um, and I was trapped until the fact that I saw the footage and that gave me a completely new perspective, which means I wasn't just looking for that focus. I could look at it from a completely independent and safe perspective. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, I must – sorry, go on. Yep. No, no, you're okay. I was just going to say I must say to the listeners, uh, if you – if you feel you can, <laughs> it's worth having a look. I, I looked at the CCTV footage myself and it's on your website. Would, yep. Could you just tell the uh, the listeners how they can see that because it is pretty amazing. Yeah, just on the website. So it's jeffgarland.com.au, so J-E-F-F-G-A-R-L-A-N-D.com.au. It's on there with other videos and things. I was actually interviewed um, by the, the, the Sunday night program with um, Melissa Doyle back in 2014. Um, just after my book got published, um, which raised a lot of awareness in terms of post-traumatic stress and the wall, the suicide wall uh, in New South Wales and things like that. So um, definitely have a look at it because a lot of people go through a lot of serious incidents. I was lucky enough in this instance to have it recorded for, in order for me to be able to interrupt my patterns and disconnect the trauma that I've been, been involved in. Um, mm. So just uh, but definitely jump on and have a look. There's actually the, there's a, it's the footage as well as the police radio tape as well. So it's like a commentary what my actual how I was feeling the call sign uh, what I was saying and the actual footage itself Mm. and when were you actually formally diagnosed with um, post-traumatic stress I would have been a few months after the incident when I eventually went and saw a psychologist and psychiatrist so yeah I still had no idea what it was but that was what it was but then like I decided no I didn't want this to define me anymore I actually after watching the footage um, six months later I was actually able to return um, to work in a police station 
I, in like Macquarie. So I was still called my uniform, still couldn't identify myself as a policeman. I uh, couldn't you know, talk about the events and stuff, obviously. But so I went to the, um, got sent to the police station as part of my rehab because I wanted to at least try to go back because I love my job. I'd only been in the job five years. And it's like, I didn't want my career to end like this. It's something I thought I was always going to do. Um, so my first day in the police station, walk in and go, everyone, this is Jeff. He's got PTSD. It's like, hello, everybody. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. that working in the back of the police station doing warrants and stuff like that, which was fine. I did all, all, all plain clothes and stuff. And then one day I was actually um, going to go to a train day, which was good. It was good to be around the police before. And um, so actually on my way to the train, I had a fatal car accident happen in front of me. So on top of everything else I was going with, this accident happened right in front of me. Um, but then something happened. It's like I switched straight back into policing mode. So I pulled the car over. I did what I had to do checked on the drivers and one was deceased, called triple zero. So everything was, well. I was in that mode. So nothing else that was going on peripherally in relation to my traumas and everything else going to the train day, um, it wasn't there. And I was okay. Even had the sergeant come up to me uh, when he arrived at the scene, goes, are you okay? It's like, <laughs> I've never been asked that before. What, what do I say? Um, <laughs> and I know I was okay oh. um, until the wife of the, the deceased driver turned up and she was in tears and that was it. I went home grabbed a bottle of scotch and had a scotch in one hand, my psychiatrist on the other hand, and um, they started mm-hmm. to deal with, with that. But in that moment, I decided, no, I've still got this passion for the for the job. And because of that, I was able to then focus on you know, going back to work in um, um, in back, well, back on the, not the front line, but back to prosecuting. I was still a police officer, still able to carry my badge and stuff like that. So that incident, strangely enough, inspired me to get back because I thought that I was I was lost, I was a mess, but being able to get there and do the job like I did in the way I did and the circumstances that happened, it's like, no, I still got this. And then I was able to go back and do it uh, and then go back to, to work um, and process all my events before uh, doing that uh, and then went back to my start of my prosecuting career, which I always wanted to do in the police. I didn't think it would be so soon, but I was, I was glad I was able to go and do that, to be in the police, to go and do that, and then eventually went back to uniform and then went back to prosecuting and then, that was the end of my career. Now, I wanted to talk about uh, that ten years. After that ten years, that you were um, you went back to policing, and and you said um, that was the end. Your PTS uh, returned, I believe. And did did that return with a thud, or was it just like a slow burn which came to a head with a certain situation or incident, or how did that happen? Well, for me, it was not so much the incidents that I've been involved in before. It was all the new stuff I got involved in. Pretty amazing, isn't he? I don't know about you, but I just loved the bit where he's on the back of the ute. He's somehow managed to call Triple O, and they assume that he's chasing an offender in a car, and... I think it's great how he has to try and explain or convince Triple O that he's actually in the back of the offender's car while the offender is driving it erratically. Oh, I just thought, sorry, Jeff, but I just thought that was very amusing. Anyway, next week we hear more about Jeff's recovery from PTS, uh, how he now has a law degree and many other accolades. And he could be many things, but he wants to help others recover how he has and he's just so passionate about people suffering trauma to consider other methods such as for instance NLP neuro-linguistic programming which he specializes in teaching 
He is testament to the fact that you can recover from trauma. The triggers, etc., don't need to be a life sentence. Jeff will explain it all to you next week. But if you are troubled and not improving, have a listen to Jeff because it might just be the answer to your troubles. Anyway, have a good week, everyone. Bye. As you've probably noticed, we've moved to a new platform called ACAST. I think that's the right expression, I've got no idea. And my previous reviews haven't transferred over. I need reviews. <laughs> Could you do me a favour and put up a review? And thank you so much for your support and patronage. With your help, I can give you that little bit extra. Thanks. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.